Welcome everyone to the Take It Home Podcast. I'm your host, John LaRocca. And on today's episode, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, the total package, Lex Luger. Recently on A&E Biography, uh, WWE Legends, um, the series they're doing this season, they covered the total package. And it was a, it's a 90-minute show. And it covered it covered from his football career. You know, actually, as, as a young age, starting football as a young age in high school, and all the all the, all through his wrestling career, and of course his troubles after his wrestling career, and also his redemption. So, I was pretty excited to watch this one because, like I said, Lex Luger is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers, and I might get some chuckles from. A lot of you listeners out there. Um, to me, Lex Luger has always been kind of like given a, a bad rap by the quote-unquote wrestling experts um, who would talk about, you know, work rate and move set and talk about just, you know, he he's kind of always been poked fun at um, because a lot of people, especially younger fans, they just kind of know him from those wacky memes he had and he was doing some independent dates and just kind of not in his right frame of mind and it also just just like I said work I remember like I would hear like oh Lex Luger is not that good Lex Luger wasn't that good he was overrated and honestly Lex Luger was a pr- pretty good worker and all, honestly he was a big star and I think a lot of people forget that now, you know, over time, some of the people that he's worked with, there's been some good, there's been some bad. If you look at the people who just say nothing but good things about Lex, it's some big names, important names in the wrestling business. Ric Flair talks highly of Lex Luger um, in the ring. He talks about him. I'm not talking about what they do outside the ring and how, how much fun they had, but I'm talking about in the ring, he always put over Lex Luger um, as a as a quality worker, Lex Luger did make some great strides in the ring. And like a lot of people though, there was times when he got lazy. I think a lot of people just focus on that time. And we'll talk about that time period. But like I said, Lex Luger is one of my all time favorite wrestlers. He's the, my first favorite wrestler. Um, when I started watching wrestling as a kid, like I talked to about this many times on various different podcasts that I've done here on the Fight Game Media uh, Families podcast. Uh, we were even way before we were on Observer website. Gary and I were talking about the uh, the We Want Flair podcast, and we covered the Luger matches. I talked about my fandom from Luger growing up, and I just kind of go back quickly tell that story is that my friend Chad Ng, who I was who I grew up with. Um, he was the one I first saw wrestling before, um, before Chad, like, you know, started getting into it. But I saw it one time, um, actually twice. Cause I, if you count the, the Hulk rock and wrestling cartoon, I, I had, I remember that cartoon as a kid and I knew the wrestlers and I had the coloring book. Someone got me the coloring book and I wish I had that coloring book. I had it for a very, very, very long time, but I don't know what happened to it during the various moves I've had when I was younger. Uh, but, and also one day I was watching wrestling at home. I saw a clip 
uh, you know, I think it was WAF Superstars at the time. Cause I remember it was Saturday mornings. That's when Superstars came on. I, I distinctly remember it was the Heart Foundation because I remember the pink tights. And they were wrestling these, these uh, you know, job guys. And there was like inset. I remember there was an inset promo because I remember the Killer Bees had a promo. And I remember like yelling at my dad, come over here, come over here, check these guys out. They're fighting. They're fighting. Look at these guys fighting. He's like, oh, that's pro wrestling and it's fake. And when I, I, mean, I heard that from my dad, I was like, oh, it's fake? He's like, yeah, it's all put on. They all set up and they all rehearse everything. The usual stuff that you always hear. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, because at the time when I was a kid, at that time frame, I was like big into baseball. Big into the San Francisco Giants. All I wanted to do was be the second baseman for the San Francisco Giants. And... So I would just quickly disregarded wrestling, no interested to continue watching. Um, and later on, my friend Chatting, you know, tells me he's like, "Hey, I was watching this pay per view called Survivor Series, and and this wrestling, this Hulk Hogan, a guy named Macho Man Randy Savage, etc." And I was like, "I was like, yeah, but is that fake?" He's like, "Yeah, but it's a lot of fun." He's like, you should watch it with me. And I was like, I don't know. I thought it was fake. He's like, yeah, dude, he's like, it's pretty cool. So he's like, he was telling me, he's like, you know, just come over and watch a show with me. So I went over to his house and I was there almost, almost every freaking day. And we were watching this pay-per-view and it was Fire Series 88. And I'm watching with him and I qu- I'm quickly sucked in, right? I'm quickly like into the characters. I love that everyone had their own like finishing move because he's telling me all the move, their finishing moves they did, and you know, you know, I quickly was amazed by the Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and I want. I'm, I was like, I was like so jazzed up watching Fire Series '88. I was like, you might if I borrow this tape. He's like, yeah, sure, just bring it back. I want. Actually, I, that was my first VHS tape of wrestling I ever had, and it was his tape, which I never gave back to him. Um, and then, you know, I continued to kind of watch it, watch Superstars and kind of keep up there, watch a little bit of prime time. But I was still so busy with baseball and uh, and I just wasn't as consistent with it. And then we watched the Royal Rumble 89. I borrowed that tape again and also did not give that tape back. And also, like, started collecting wrestling magazines. And... But mostly WF wrestling magazines. I didn't even even notice that there was other wrestling magazines. It was just like I was just WWF focused. And my friend Chad calls me up and he's like, "Hey, do you want to come over for NWA Shy Town Rumble pay review?" I'm like, "What's that?" He's like, "It's wrestling." I'm like, "Is Hulk Hogan in it? Is Ultimate Warrior is in it? Is, is he in it? Is it Randy Macho Man Savage? What's who's who's all in it?" He's like, "Oh no, none of those guys. This is a whole different league." And I'm like, well, who's in it? He's like, Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, um, and, you know, Sting. And I was like, these guys, I just didn't know their names. So a little bit of Ricky Steamboat from from uh, looking at my buddy's old magazines that Chad had. And and I'm like, it's not WWF? And he's like, well, it's, it's like WWF, but it's more real. I'm like, more real? That just, like, piqued my interest, right? So I went over there, watched Chi-Town Rumble. And I liked it. To me, like a lot of people say, like, you know, NWA always looked low rent, especially later on after the, the sale of uh, from Crockett to Turner. A lot of people said NWA looked low rent to WWF. 
And at the time, when I first saw it, Shytown Rumble, to me, it looked like a major, uh, it looked like just on par with the WWF. Yeah, you know, my young eyes saw this, right? So I started watching, and then there's the match between Lex Luger challenging for the United States ch- title against the champion at the time, Barry Windham. And out comes Lex Luger. And I was impressed by the Ultimate Warrior in WWF, his physique and. And, you know, just how massive that guy was. Also impressed with Hulk Hogan at the time as well. And, then, you know, a couple of the guys in WF were really big and muscular. And that, and that was what I thought wrestlers were, just these big jacked up dudes. And out came um, Lex Luger. And to me, he looked like a like a superhero out of the comic books. Just, he just looked like, like where Ultimate Warrior look, which I liked him. I was a big fan of Ultimate Warrior. Luger just felt more real. And he came out and he won that match. And I was just so impressed by him. But I wasn't like clicked in yet. It just wasn't like, it wasn't like totally clicked in. I was still kind of more thinking WWF, Hulk Hogan, Warrior, Savage, right? So it was a few months later where I didn't watch this live, but my buddy Chad did. And he taped it. NWA uh, uh, Russell War '89, and that was the Music City Showdown, and that's when you know Ric Flair famously won his sixth World Championship and the famous Terry Funk angle attack afterwards. But the match that just sealed it for me as a wrestling fan was Lex Luger defending his United States Championship against Michael P.S. Hayes. And Michael PSK's hanging out, gyrating, and and I just I hated him, hated him with the passion, right? And I wanted to see Luger just kick this guy's ass. Well, look, look at this guy. He's a super, he's a superman. He's gonna destroy him. And in this match, like multiple times, I think only like at least three or four times in the match, he would he would Luger would whip the guy Michael PSA's into the ropes, and then off the ropes you'd pick him up for the press slam and hold him up there and then drop him. I thought that was so amazing. When he did that, I was like, oh, my God. This guy is a Superman. And so I I just was like, eyes are out of my head. Like, this guy is amazing. And then Michael P.S. Hayes ends up beating Lex Luger by some, by some shenanigans. Uh, Terry Cordy interferes, puts a, just puts a limp. Michael P.S. Hayes, body on top of uh, Lex Luger was knocked out when they both guys collided heads. And Michael P.S. Hayes won. And I was so mad that Michael P.S. Hayes, this sloppy-looking dude, this guy who looked like he should be on MTV, not in a wrestling ring in my opinion at the time, beat freaking Superman, right? Total package Lex Luger. I was so mad. I just could not wait for Luger to get his revenge. I was sucked in. I was hooked in. And even though he lost, you'd think I'd be pissed. Like, I was pissed. Like, I would, like, think Luger sucked and he lost. No, that's heat. They got me pissed off. I wanted to come back to watch more. So I made sure to find World Championship Wrestling on my television, you know, what channel it came on, what time it came on, and I was hooked 
hooked. So, and I was still in love with baseball and playing baseball, little league. And I did continue in 89 and 90. And I remember 90, I was so like, <laughs> I'd be at, at practice. And I remember there was a clash of champions. It was in, it was uh, June. It was Coastal Crush. It was uh, the class that we clashed champions number 11. That's the one with uh, uh, Ric Flair, Junkyard Dog in the main event. But Luger versus Sid Vicious. And there was Midnight Express with Rock and Roll Express. Uh, Doom versus Steiner Brothers. Um, Arn Anderson versus Paul Orndorff. You know, it's just it's a really good, a really good clash champions minus the main event. But it. I remember like sitting at home and I had the tape, the, the tape recorder set the tape, all that set up, and I'm just sitting there like, I just want to be home watching wrestling. I don't want to play baseball anymore. So that's when I got like kind of started getting out of baseball because I I was like interfering with my my wrestling time, and it was especially on Saturdays when it was game days, and I was like, oh, God, I wish I I hope I have an early game so I can be home to watch. World Championship Wrestling, because I want I need to see my favorites, Lex Luger, Stang, Ric Flair, etc. And so that's what I so that's what I did, and that's how. And from there on, Luger became my favorite wrestler after that <laughs> Wrestle War '89 match with Michael P.S. Hayes. And soon after that, Luger regained the belt back, like in a couple weeks, and I was super happy about that. And then he quickly at that clash um, in June of '89, he turned on Rick Steamboat, and. And I didn't watch that one live. I had I actually I didn't have a tape for that before. I didn't see that one for a very long time. All I saw was the clips of that clash on television. And I'll never forget Luger helping up Rick Steenbutter's match with Terry Funk. And you know, I was like, okay, that's that's so cool, man. Luger's such a nice guy. And then he just closed like the hell out of Luger as Steamboat. And he, Luger rips his shirt off and he just Gives this awesome flex pose, muscles just popping out everywhere. And I'm just like, yes. Like I was like with this guy, like he could do no wrong in my, in my opinion. I was like, okay, he's bad. I'm, I'm, I'm with them. Cause he's the best. He should have got the towel shot. Rick Steve should have faced him. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I was like, yeah, it makes totally sense to me. And, um, I was a big Bay face fan. I hated the heels, but Lex Luger, I'm like, I'm, I'm loyal. I'm loyal to this guy. I'm still like that when I watch sports. Like when I watch baseball, when a guy leads the Giants and he's playing for a different team, I always just, just, I just always just have so much respect for him. I always continue to be like follow him and stuff. But, but like with Luger, when you turn heel, you think like, ah, be done with him. That was, I'm a sting guy now. And then, but no, I was like, Luger's the man. And that 89, I thought was a great year. I mean, of course, my fandom's out of control. I'm into everything. But looking back years later, it was one of the the best runs of his career. He was a really good heel. And he took all those years of working with Ric Flair and he applied it to, you know, his second heel turn, I guess, you know, because he was a heel when he showed up in the NWA as a, a first associate member of the Four Horsemen and finally a member of the Four Horsemen in 1987. Working with Flair, Blanchard, and Anderson, and J.J. Dillon as manager, he really picked up how to work like a heel, which I thought, and which also made him a really good babyface in 88 and into 89. And he was just, 
like you saw him in 89 and you're like, okay, this is the future. He is a future on the heel side for the NWA. And Sting is the future on the Bayface side. And this is going to be the legendary rivalry. This is going to be it. Sting versus Luger is going to be for years to come. And that's what everyone hoped. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. But, but Luger was on that path of just top heel. And he had a really good match with Rick Steamboat at Grandmaker Bash. And it's not just all Steamboat. A lot of people just give credit to Steamboat. And because you know, is a tremendous worker, a great worker at that. And but Luger held his own in that match in Great American Bash A9, one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time. Luger had a really good match with Tommy Rich at the Clash Champions 8. Tommy Rich came back to the NWA, he slimmed down, motivated, uh, looking to you know reclaim his past glory from the early 80s in the Georgia Territory. And him and Luger had a tremendous match at Clash 8. Um, and I was just talking to someone on uh, Twitter today. There's they were saying that you know Luger carried Tommy Rich and in, in that match. I'm like, well, <laughs> Luger held his own for sure, and he's definitely improved in 1989. But you can't also discredit Tommy Rich because Tommy Rich is a good worker. He's been you know been a, a long time uh, veteran, and you know he was motivated and more athletic, and you know it. It was a big match on a big show, you know, Clash of Champions live special, and he put his best best foot forward, and it just all worked beautifully together, and they had a great match. Um, Luger followed that up with a good series of matches with Brian Pillman, where Brian Pillman looked to be a future player in the uh, NWA. Um, unfortunately, you know, his career had so many ups and downs, and just you know, between the changing of bookers, just he can never really claim that momentum that Ric Flair and his creative team had for Brian Pillman in 1989. And they had two really good matches. One was at um, Halloween Havoc, 89, that pay-per-view, and also at the Clash 9 um, as well. And then Clash 9, when uh, they did it earlier tonight, they did a Most Popular Wrestler Award. This is the PWI winners for the year in awards. Most Popular Wrestler of the Year was uh, uh, Sting, and then Ric Flair won Wrestle of the Year. And they had Bill Atmer there, you know, pre- presenting the trophies. And, of course, my favorite match of all time it froze, is from that Clash of Champions. It's Ric Flair versus Terry Funk. I quit match. And I just freaking love that match. And what makes that match even more special to me is the post-match. Where here comes Great Muda. Here comes Dragon Master, Ken Nagasaki, Gary Hart. They, they, you know, they turn on Funk. They're kicking the shit out of uh, Ric Flair. Jim Ross is going nuts. Um, uh, Gordon Soli is going nuts. It's it, the crowd is just in a frenzy. Luger comes down, and he tries to grab a chair. A fan's trying to tug a war at that chair from him. Finally, Luger pulls that chair from him, and he goes in there and he starts and he starts beating up Ric Flair, and. And and here comes Sting made the same. Sting made his awesome like comeback on Luger, but then then and then or um, excuse that Dragon Master and Luger cut him off with the chair, and uh, it was chaos. And the chaos continued when the heels were celebrating their beat down bay faces, where Luger has his chair and he's walking to the locker back to the locker room and he's like smiling and he looks over and he sees the trophies there. And he smashes him. And I was like, oh, my God, this is insane. But I loved every minute of it. And I supported Lex Luger. 
then then they had the uh Iron Man tournament in 1989 and he did really well in that and but it was perfectly booked and the way it should have been. But then in February of 1990 some unfortunate uh injury happened to Sting. Like he blew out his knee and he was out for 6 months. So they had to turn Luger babyface cuz he was the only guy at the time they felt that they needed who could draw a pay-per-view with Ric Flair. And I hated that they did that. I just hated that that happened because he was, Luger was so white hot as a heel and he was just ready for Sting to be his uh, first challenger and to be a big money match for Sting as a, when Sting was a world champion. And it just always breaks my heart when, when, uh, just rethinking that because and you know Luger's his career has a lot of like just things out of control that changed his uh his uh, momentum and that was one of them this you know staying getting hurt Luger had turned baby face now I was totally into that match at Wrestle World 90 when Luger faced Flair and I remember the worldwide uh episode leading up to it where you know Flair, I mean, it's late at night. He's like, I'm going to kick your ass. I was like, oh, my God, he said a bad word, Ric Flair. And I was so pumped for that match. And I remember inviting my uh, buddy who lived down the street for me, Joel Bex, over to watch the pay-per-view because he was kind of like – he's my baseball buddy, but he's kind of like watching some wrestling because I was into it and getting into it and stuff. And and so I'm like, you want to come over to watch Wrestle War 90? And I remember us watching it together and I was going nuts for this match. I thought Luger's winning this belt for sure. I was just like every fall with Luger recover Flair. I was on my hands and knees making the counts with the referee. Like I just wanted Luger win so bad. And then, you know, the deal where Steen came out, get that motivational speech. And then, you know, because they were rivals. But I knew they were about their friendships with the magazines. And I was like, oh, my God, this is great. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And then the Anders just came out and spoiled it. But but Luger, you know, had a good ni- 1990. They kept him strong, U.S. champion, until, uh, what was that, October of 1990 when Stan Hansen beat him at Halloween Havoc. And I just never, I'll never forget just how sad it was that Luger lost this U.S. title. And I remember being at the kitchen table, just 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 sitting there all with the boo-boo face on, just, just, just totally just pissed off. My dad's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, Stan Hansen beat Luger for the U.S. title. <laughs> and my dad just gave me crap because, you know, my dad always thought wrestling would just be like a, a, a fad. But, you know, here here I am today talking about it, you know, at uh, 44 years old, doing a podcast on it, being in the business before um, and all that. So it's just, it's just, you know, that once it got in my blood in 89, really got in my blood. I just, it just, it's just. Never got out of it. I still love it. Um, and you know, Luger quickly won the belt back, and a couple months later, Starcade ninety. Um, and so in ninety one, it was looked like, okay, is this going to be the year? Because Sting ended up being a failure as an NWA champion the first time around, and not because he was a failure. I think he would have been a great world champion. It's just they had nothing ready. They had no one ready for him. It was Ric Flair, and then they tried to use the deal with Sting. Uh, sorry, Sid Vicious at Havoc. That was. Totally left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And then, of course, the Black Scorpion uh, angle just 
petered out. It had great potential. It was a great mystery of who it was. I still think it should have been hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert, he was a perfect candidate for that. And he didn't need to beat Sting as the Black Scorpion, but he, you know, but he can have been the thorn in Sting's side continuing after that angle plays out because he could, because Eddie Gilbert, though he's a smaller wrestler, he's a hell of a worker, but a great mouthpiece for a top heel or a big heel that Sting could have continued to, um, to wrestle and, and defeat. Uh, but this thing was end up being a failure. And again, I don't blame him. I blame Ole Anderson, the booker. And they, when Dusty came in, he, as a booker in 1991, he went back to what he knows. And since he's not wrestling anymore, he's retired. He, that was part of the deal when he came back that he wasn't going to be a wrestler. He was just going to be a booker. Uh, he ends up going back what he knows and making Ric Flair the world, the top heel world champion. Right? So, now things are starting to cook in WWE for Luger again. Like you, you feel like, oh, is this is this going to be the time when he wins the WWE at the time now called WWE World Title? And when they announced the match at Grand Match 1991, I was like, okay, this is it. I just felt it like I felt Sting was going to win in 1990 from uh, Ric Flair at the Grand Match. And and of course, July 1st, they announced that Ric Flair and Jim Hurd, or uh, you know, the, the Jim Hurd has stripped him of the Ric Flair the title, and he's no longer on WCW, and 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 now Luger is wrestling Barry Windham for the Hell Up title at Great American Bash '91. And again, momentum taken away, pulled out from under Lex Luger. Nothing that he did, nothing he could do. It's not, it's not him. It was just the, the dispute between Ric Flair and Jim Hurd. Like Luger, Flair wanted to lose the belt to Luger. He had no problem with it. Like he said in this documentary. Um, he was just wanted his deposit back for the NWA title that he, you know, $25,000 plus interest and they didn't want to pay it. And of course he shows up in WWF with the world title and, and Luger beat Barry Windham at Grand Rapids 91. And it just wasn't the same of Luger beating, um, um, Ric Flair for the title. So quickly on this documentary, I really love, I love the old footage of when he was younger talking about his high school days and his college days and his uh, pro football career, which is, you know, was marred in a lot of controversy. First of all, injuries. Uh, Luger is a very cocky guy. I love how Luger on the documentary talks about himself. Like, you know, I was kind of, you know, shy, and some people thought that was overconfident. I think he was just like, you know, an overconfident dude, just overconfident kind of prick to people because, you know, Look at that guy, you know, who wouldn't be like that? Honestly, a lot of guys would be, you know, just top athlete and, you know, expects to be the number one in everything he does. And, and now he's like going from football team to football team. Cause he's getting frustrated. He feels like he should be a starter and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I love seeing that old footage of him being younger. I love seeing the old footage of his football. I remember like, cause I always, always hear that. Yeah, Luger was a Green Bay Packer, right? And he was. I always wanted that card. <laughs> I wanted a Lex Luger football card. I thought, and I remember looking on like the Beck's back, you know, guy, and I'm looking for names. I just scan it, and I'm looking for Lex Luger, right? I'm not looking for uh, uh, Lawrence Prof, whatever his last name. I can't even say it. I just call him Luger. I was like sitting there, like he's. I can't find the card. That's the only card I wanted in football. So I wonder if Promise Thomas has a card. There even is a card that was made for. Lex Luger on the Green Bay Packers. Um, but um, 
I love look at look, look, looking at the fish, and of course the early stuff from Florida, um, the story about Battle of the Belts, where he was really green and Flair had to carry him for like thirty something minutes, um, and then the stuff the Horsemen, all that stuff I know. It's good to see they kind of skipped over quickly right into the uh, his world title win at the Grand American Bash and talking about how Flair left and it kind of overshadowed things, and, it, and that was true. Um. And then, you know, Luger at the time, I guess, was just, like, out of it. He was done with WCW. He wanted to move on. He wanted to go to WWF. And he was able to get out of his – well, he was able to work, go to WWF. I the WBF deal, the World Bodybuilding Federation that Vince McMahon was starting. And since Luger, you know, couldn't sign a wrestling contract, he signed a bodybuilding contract. So that's how Vince got him, and he was going to not wrestle, but he's going to be out for a year's last year's contract with WCW. He's not; he's just do bodybuilding, and per the contract at WCW, it was okay. They had nothing, they had nothing to, they could say about it. So, so I remember Luger showing up at WrestleMania eight in that that promo that he had. I was like, oh my god, he's here! And I remember being bummed because I was like a WCW fan, and I remember that was a big loss for. My team, WCW, right? And quickly he, like in six, like he got that, he got that motorcycle accident, which I didn't even know about because I wasn't like an observer reader or anything like that. So I didn't get the start sheets. And all of a sudden, like he kind of disappeared. The WBF thing flopped. And then I remember Roy Rumble, 1993 in Sacramento, um, I watched on Scramble Vision, and because at that, and I, I would sit there and just listen like a like a, like a radio broadcast of the show, and and I remember when the Narcissist debuted with Bobby Heenan introduced the Narcissist. It was Lex Luger. I'm like, he's there. And I'm trying to look through the Scramble lines and all that. And then the next night, my dad took me to a, a TV taping, Superstars Wrestling Challenge taping in San Jose. Where I lived at the uh, the event center, and um, it was uh, sorry Civic Center, and I I saw Lex Luger's first match in WWF versus Jim Powers. He wrestled twice that night. Came out the mirror pose. I was happy as can be, and that made up for the fact that I realized Ric Flair's not coming on the show because I was so excited to see Ric Flair live. But Luke Ric Flair that night. On Monday Night Raw, lost the loser league tile match to Ric Flair, so he was not there that night. So that bummed me out, but I saw Lex Luger twice, and I was super happy. And you know, Narcissus gimmick was true to him. I thought it was, I liked it, and I thought he was going to be this 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 top heel. I thought for sure him and Bret Hart were going to have this long you know rivalry that that didn't take place because. Brett lost to Yoko, who Yoko lost to Hulk Hogan, that whole deal, and and Yoko got it back. And I remember watching, was that Challenge or Superstars? I think it was Wrestling Challenge, where they had the USS Intrepid thing, and I think they, I remember them like talking about it, but I didn't even pay attention. And then here, here comes Luger out, flying down from the helicopter, <coughs> come out red, white, and blue shirt, body slams Yokozuna, and I'm like, whoa. It's crazy. And at the time, even though I wasn't a smart fan, I I knew what wrestling was. I did not read the dirt sheets, but right away I thought, 
okay, they want him to be the next Hulk Hogan. He's going to be the next top guy on the good guy side. And again, a bad decision by not Luger, but by Vince McMahon. All things are leading to SummerSlam 93. I for sure thought Luger's win the title. He beat Yokozuna, but only beat him by countout, and he celebrated like he won the title. There's balloons flying down, confetti, and you know, Sean Walton was talking about like this is kind of stupid, you know. And it was, and it's like, what are you like cheering for? The guy won by countout, you know, like he didn't win the belt. So it just that killed Luger in the WWF. You know, Vince McMahon he wanted to hold off Luger's big win for WrestleMania, but that failure at SummerSlam made people look at Luger as a failure. They didn't look at him as that guy anymore. They started rooting for Bret Hart again, and they always did. But they—they—that's they, who they wanted—the guy to beat Yoko, and and that's what happened. And I thought there was money to be made with Luger turning back heel on Bret Hart and being the challenger to Bret Hart, but they never did. Like Luger just continued to do the USA gimmick. I love when they talked about the Lex Express stuff and how uncomfortable he was, and you know, he's, he just—he's a better natural heel. He's not a natural babyface, um, even though he was a good babyface. But it just when it comes to the interaction with fans and all that stuff, like Luger's just focused on other things, working out, eating food. You know, he just doesn't want to hang around with fans too much, and I get that. I understand. There's some wrestlers are like that. Some wrestlers are just better as heels that don't mingle with the fans. You know, nowadays. Uh, it's a little different now. Rest, heel Bay Face doesn't matter. They're all mingling fans. It's all just a show. Um, and and so Luger ended up like in a tag team with Dave Boy Smith and didn't do much. He won the tag team titles. And and in 1995, you know, WSW's making some strides and bit, some big dreams of competing with WWF on Monday nights. And they introduced Nitro. And I remember really excited to watch that show and you know pillman versus liger was the opener and i'm like oh man thinking about you know super raw 2 rematch didn't really live up to that expectation but it was still fun to see liger again on television um we're getting a sting flare match which always are good and during that before that first lock of a sting versus rick flair here comes lex luger strolling out as a big surprise i was like oh my god he's here and the way they this Sting described it, it's like Luger was now back home, you know? And I felt like that, too. I was like, okay, yeah, this is where you fit better. This is where you belong as a WCW. And I couldn't believe the story that Bischoff, you know, didn't like it, which I can imagine Luger just totally being a dick to the C-level announcer, Eric Bischoff, and, you know, Bischoff not liking him, not wanting to rehire him. So he low-balled him so he wouldn't take the – the contract, but Luger was so like, I'm done with WF. I just want to go back, you know, to the Southern States, the Atlantic States, you know, of, you know, the Carolinas, Georgia, et cetera, and be around my buddy Sting and the Steiners and we're on a Stanford there at the time, but just, you know, just kind of be back on that side of the States. And Luger took it and he was motivated. And that was so cool to see because, you felt that. You saw how motivated was Luger was in 1995 when he returned in the year, and also in '96, very motivated. Um, 
when they turned Luger heel in Hollywood 95, that, that was great because I'm like, okay, he's just a better heel. But I loved, I love the storyline of even though he's a heel, Sting's his best friend. Sting's the top baby face here, a top baby face with Hulk Hogan and Monster Marion Savage. But Luger was a heel to everyone else but Sting. And Luger didn't care about the fans, but Sting did. And I love when they form a tag team. They won the tag team ta- championship. And I love the entrance they would do. Like, Sting's high-fiving with the fans. Luger's behind him, like, being a total dick to the fans. Like, sneering at him. Just walking all cocky. But then Sting will turn around like, yeah, look, let's go do this. And Luger starts high-fiving the fans. <laughs> oh, it was so good. But then, Razor Moan and Diesel's contract were up. And they didn't. They're now negotiating with WCW, Bischoff, with seeing the UWFI versus New Japan angle in Japan. Want to do something similar, so that's what the NWO is born. And Luger was now in that. Now Luger's a full-fledged babyface and Sting was Sting. So they that cool little dynamic that they had as Luger's a heel and Sting is a babyface. Was now gone because now they're full. They're both full time pay phase, and I always wonder how what the payoff could have been on that that storyline. I always felt like that was such a cool storyline between these two top stars in WCW. And Luger ended up being the you know kind of one of the faces versus the NWO at the time, and of course famously beat Hulk Hogan for the w, WCW title in August of 1997, and then that. Um, I never, I gotta try to see if I remember that match. It's such a long time ago, but I remember the pop that he got, and that was so cool when they showed it again. And you see the crowd going nuts, and, and Luger was talking about how that much that meant to him, and what a moment that was. And it was truly a, a great moment. It just, I think, when I look back at it, I remember the pop. I remember the reaction of him winning the title, but I also remember he lost like it four days later. So I was never like, never like really thought of it as like a, a major deal because he lost. But looking in hindsight, it was a major deal. It drew a great rating. It was a total shocker because, you know, I always figured Sting was going to be the first guy to beat Hogan for the title. But, you know, they, you know, it was time. It was time and they did it, but they, they could have gave some more men in the Luger and he could have been champion for a little bit longer before he lost it. But, you know, Hulk Hogan has his, Fan base there over in uh, in uh, Dakota. No, it was in North Dakota for the Sturgis Rally. Those those crazy guys. And so they did what they did there. And then Luger continued on and did his thing. And Sting won. And Luger was the one the title from Hogan. And that was a big bust. And Luger carried on. And then things started getting kind of wacky. With the old NWO splitting to two different groups, black and white versus the Wolf Pack, and Luger joining the Wolf Pack, and I did not like that. It just didn't seem like a natural fit. I just like, eh, this doesn't. Luger with Kevin Nash and Conan just didn't look right. And Sting joins, and Sting's wearing the red and black, or and it's like, I get it. Like the NWO Wolf Pack was really over, like. I couldn't. I mean, I remember. I couldn't believe like all the red and black NWO shirts that were out there, and people with Wolfpack shirts, and it just it blew my mind because I just didn't think it was. You know, I don't know. I just didn't like it. It didn't fit him. It didn't fit him at all. Um, and he did some stuff, Luger. But this is where you start seeing 
the Luger that people were saying it was not a good worker. You know, you can start seeing a little bit of the laziness. Like I said, they didn't even talk about this documentary. They were both making a lot of money. Sting and Luger were both making a lot of money. And before he would have a couple beers and retire for the night and get some good sleep because um, he's such a, a, a fitness freak, he started, everyone's just rock starring, right? Everyone's just partying. And he, next thing he's partaking and he starts getting into it and it starts changing him. You know, he starts cheating on his wife with Miss Elizabeth. She's cheating on his her husband with Lex Luger. And I think even me as a super Lex Luger fan could see the difference too as well. I lo- I still love him because he's, he's, he was Luger, right? I just always supported him. Um, at the time, I remember I was getting into like Chris Benoit. He was, he, okay, I know. I know I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a problem saying his name and you know, but I really loved Chris Benoit. I just the intensity and the physicality just changed changed wrestling for me. Plus, I was starting to learn more and more about certain workers who was you know, and he just blew my mind, Chris Benoit, and he's you know still one of my all time favorite wrestlers. And I'm just talking about Chris Benoit as a wrestler, not talking about Chris Benoit as a human being for what he did later on. Uh, but it it was just a different. My my fandom for Luger was like my favorite baseball player. Like, well, not my not like Will Clark. So I always loved Will Clark, but like a guy from the Giants would go to a different team. Except Brett Butler when he went to the, uh, the Dodgers, I was pretty pissed. Uh, but uh, you know, I would always kind of support him. And Luger, I was kind of like always supporting him. You know, like oh, and I remember like late. How was that late 2000 during the Vince Russo era when Luger was repackaged as a total package without calling himself Lex Luger and Miss Elizabeth there? I started, wasn't into it. And then it all made sense why he was, you know, looking, not, not working as hard or his matches, you know, the quality of his matches dipped because he was on drugs and partying too much. And that lifestyle was, taking hold of him. And then this is when the documentary on A&E got into talking about the drug use, the partying, the affair of Miss Elizabeth. And I will say this. WF put out this series called Confidential. It was very like, you know, kind of dark side of ringish in a way where they're just trying to get the, the most seedy stories out there and, and, and they painted Lex Luger as the like the not he killed Miss Elizabeth. He was responsible for bringing Miss Elizabeth this this beautiful and pure sweetheart woman to drugs and alcohol, and that's and that led her led her to her death. And it's not true. Like it was equal on both parts. They both started partying. They both started drinking. They both started you know doing a lot of stuff and. So I'm glad that they didn't paint Luger in that, like as the guy that that was the one that he was the one that influenced Elizabeth that dark road and eventually entered life. Like I, I just I'm glad they they told that story. I I, I thought correctly, and then they start going into the stuff about his, you know, like he said, like 12 DUIs, being arrested for 
drug charges for selling. They thought he was going to sell steroids. I think he just had it all for him, but maybe he was going to sell it to people. Maybe he was. I'm sure he was, you know, people hitting him up and stuff, but whatever. Distributing of steroids. And he was just, and I remember this is the time I was an observer subscriber. And I remember like seeing him, Lou arrest again. So, like, and I, and I remember like, this is the time too, a lot of some wrestlers, this is when they started getting that where these young wrestlers are dying so so uh so early in age, right? And just, you know, guys in their 30s and 40s dying. And I remember saying, I remember just being kind of depressed when I would always see Luger come up in the news of being arrested and and I kind of like just was waiting for that news. Like, yeah, I'm going to you know, it's going to be one day soon. It's going to be, we're going to find out Luger passed away. And then he had the spinal, the spinal stroke at that event in San Francisco, which I was and worked a show there. Uh, and we got called like kind of last minute to do a, do be part of that show. It was like during the daytime. No one was there watching it. I think literally like fucking 15 people. The only Larry Zbysko was there watching it. <laughs> I remember that. But I was telling, I was telling my kids like five thousand people were there. <laughs> you know, but it was it was like fifteen people. We did a tag match. It was Brian Cage and uh, God, who was this? Was it? Oh, Tito uh, Tito Aquino and Brian Cage versus uh, uh, my tag team of Ego with Nate Nate Rules and AJ Kirsch, and that was a fun little match. We did we did that little that little deal and got to walk around that convention and see this kind of stars and talk to some people. And it was, uh, it was interesting. And we were like literally coming home from another show the night before we started at a hotel up in Oroville, California, and we were driving home in that morning. And then we got the call from, uh, Roland Alexander, who was the owner and, uh, the promoter of, uh, all for wrestling, which was our home promotion. He's like, you guys got to go down there and got you guys booked on a show and it's a good opportunity for you, all this kind of stuff. So we did. And then I heard about the chaos of that convention is legendary. There should be a dark side ring on that thing alone. And there was uh, and I heard about Luger being hospitalized, paralyzed. And it's still hard for me to see Luger the way he is you know, frail and just, just as sad. Cause he was a, a looked like Superman, like I said. And I was so happy that he found God and he found religion and he was, he's been saved. And I know some people are, you know, don't believe in God and some people do, but you know, there's just there's like, you know, two sides of that. And whatever you believe, not non or, or, or do believe, I think one thing both sides can agree on is that Lex Luger finding God has been the best thing for him, right? Like, even if you don't believe in God, you should be happy that Luger has something that he believes in and he's he's, he's making himself into a better person. No more drugs, no more alcohol. You know, he forgave himself. He he understands what he did, the people he hurt, his family, his children. 
and he's doing his best to give back. And, you know, people talk about it all the time, you know, Lex Luger is like the most positive guy you could ever meet. He's such a, you know, he's just, you know, he, where he was an asshole before, he's the nicest guy in the world. And, and I just, I think that's so great. And I've never met Lex Luger, never had an opportunity to beat him. Uh, I'm not one to like pay money to get someone's autograph. Um, but there's one exception and that would be Lex Luger, just just so I can talk to him, because because he had such a big influence on my life. Now I wish he had more of an influence of in the in the gym for me. Like I wish I had that, you know, workout, you know, ethic that you know, want. You know, I I wish I had that. I should have took that, and you know, I'm not saying do steroids, but like you know, become a physical fitness nut. But I just never did, um, and. But like I, you know, for my fandom, for like where I am today of wrestling and what I've done, like why, you know, if I was, I would, fuck, dude, like I love wrestling so much. I never thought I was gonna perform in it. Never thought I was gonna ever book. Never thought I was gonna run my own promotion. And it all goes back to Lex Luger, because if it wasn't for him press selling Michael P.S. Hayes at Wrestle War Nine multiple times, I think I'd be on to something else, you know. So, this documentary, and, and you know, I know is, I guess this is more of a review of Lex Luger and his career and my thought and my my and my my fandom of him, but didn't really get into the finer details of the of the uh, documentary. But it was just great that at the end it, it wraps it up with a nice redemption story. The one thing that does still make me sad is that it sounds like he still hasn't reconnected with his children yet and he even mentions that you know i wish they would get to know me now because i'm a more much better person now than i ever was i'm much you know best and i hope they do i just i hope it's i hope they do reconnect because life's too short and but i, I can understand what you know his kids not wanting to connect luger who i'm sure they saw some very dark things when he was in his dark times and how it affected them and their mother. So, but I hope they, they, he, you know, they, they find it in their heart to reconnect with their father. It's, um, and I think they will, I believe it in my heart. So that that will happen one day. And I, and, and I hope it happens, you know, cause Luger, you know, he still has a lot of medical issues. He's in a wheelchair, though he can walk here and there. He, but he can, you know, he can live on his own. He's, you know, he can bathe himself. He can feed himself. He can do all that kind of stuff. But you just never know, you know, like when anything can happen. And and I hope they, I do hope they reconnect. So um, it was awesome. I, also, my other favorite parts of that documentary was when he came back to WCW, we you know, took the $150,000, you know, contract, which, lot less than a lot of guys were making and he became like this motivation motivated guy to help the locker room and help the young wrestlers out and i love the story that paul wright told the giant because when he broke in he was a rookie could only do a few things but here he is in main events working with hulk hogan making you know making good money and 
you know, didn't work the indies or anything like that. I don't think if he did an indie, it was like one or two shows before he got signed by WCW. And he talked about like, because he was feeling the pressure from the locker room. Guys would look at him like, fuck this guy. You know, he's only getting it because he's, you know, almost seven feet tall and, you know, they're trying to make him Andre Giant's kid. You know, just, you know he, he felt the heat in the locker room. He felt the looks. It was cool to hear that Luger was like, hey, I was in that same position in, in Florida and in NWA when I signed. Like, you know, I was this young kid that didn't go, th- wasn't a wrestling fan that didn't, you know, go to the Indies and all that. Like, wasn't that long in the territory days, the very dying days of the territory as Luger was in Florida. And they connected that way. And he mentored to Giant to stay focused and work, just worry about you. Don't worry about everyone else thinks. And, you know, make the most money you can and and work on proving them wrong that yeah, yeah I got this opportunity, but I'm gonna be I'm gonna be I'm not gonna waste it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work hard and end up being a very good wrestler. And he was he was a very good wrestler, the Giant Paul White, Big Show, whatever you want to say. Um, so I, I just love that part of that story. I just that just that 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 was really cool. And I, it was it was almost like the the a little redemption story then to the big redemption story. So I enjoyed it. Got a little misty eyed a couple times, especially during the stuff about the, the drug use and all the legal issues he was having. Cause I just, it brought back memories where, like I said, I would think about Luger and like, okay, I'm not going to be shocked when I see that he's passed or something. And, and I hated that. So, I'm glad he's doing better. I'm glad he's in a better place in his heart and his mind and his soul. And I'm glad he's giving back to that's cool. He's training bodybuilders and just mentoring them. And uh, that's that's just amazing. So yes, as he's Lex Luger's ever at a convention that I'm at, which I don't really go to him, but maybe in LA I might if he's at one of the one of the so he's out there somewhere else in our maybe I'll just I'll 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 put the money down because I don't care, just to kind of shake his hand and talk to him and um, and say thanks, you know, say thanks for just igniting my fandom of this you know this crazy and wacky wrestling business. So that's my thoughts on Lex Luger and. The AEW biography documentary, or whatever you want to call it, biography, I guess, not documentary, yeah, whatever. But, and I hope you enjoy the show. I like to hear from the Luger fans out there. <laughs> Love to hear. Um, it's funny, like, I was just talking to my buddy, Promise Thomas. And I was telling him, I think I'm going to, I'm watching this doc, this, this, uh, this Luger biography on AE. I think I'm going to cover my, do the show on it. And he's like, yeah, I like Luger, but Sting was my. I always like Sting more. And like everyone, like it's like that line. I, every time I would talk to wrestling fans and talk, and they and every time I'd bring up like, yeah, I'll, my favorite wrestler growing up was Lex Luger, and they're like, a lot of people say the same thing, like, yeah, I like Luger, but I like Sting more. You, I would hear that all the time. So, so I just got to chuckle when I saw that text message from Promise Thomas. So thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I forgot, I'm, I'm sorry, I got, so, I got so into Lex Luger, my fandom. I forgot to mention the Fight Game Media podcast. My sorry, Fight Game Media Network Patreon. It's late here; it's almost midnight. When I'm recording this deal. 
Uh, $5 a month, you get all this great content from boxing, wrestling, mixed martial arts. You got the Raw 1998 uh, podcast with Garrett Gonzalez myself, where we're rewatching all the Raws from 1998 and the pay-per-views and covering them. Um, like I said, we just got done fully loaded from Fresno, California, which I was at that show talking about that show where, uh, we're at the point where Chopper the pee is going on and the old, uh, attitude era, Austin and Undertaker are, are, are building up to SummerSlam and that big main event. A lot of great stuff on there. We got the brace for impact podcast, talking about all things impact wrestling, all the details, all the backstage scoops. Are there JD Oliva just was at a impact pay review emergence that just happened today. So he'll be talking about his live perspective of that show uh, coming up on Race Rain Podcast. So definitely check it out. The five star Joshi show with Scott, you know, Mr. All Things Joshi. If you're into the Japanese human wrestling, this is the show to listen to. This will be well worth your $5. We got Robert Silva talking boxing. He's so passionate about boxing. I love hearing him talking about boxing. Uh, and so smart because he's been following it and just a fucking great fucking dude. So definitely check out his podcast on the Patreon. Again, $5 a month. That's like, eh, one less Starbucks that month. But we're giving you more than just a quick little jolt from Starbucks. We're giving you... Great content on the Fight Game Media Plus. $5. Give it a shot. Give it a shot for a month. If you don't like it, you can cancel. No one's going to be offended. We're just happy you gave us a try. Give it a shot. But I bet you, I bet you're going to stick around and hear more. A lot of great stuff on there. Everyone, have a great weekend. Be safe. And, oh, follow me on Twitter at LaRockaJL. Hit me up. Let's talk about some Lex Luger stories. I'm always down to talk about. The total package. We'll talk about a Super Bowl appearance in in the nineties when I fucking was watching Super Bowl and here comes Super Super Bowl Super Boy and here comes Lex Luger in the Superman outfit and I'm like yes because as a kid I always thought he looked like Superman so love to hear you guys thoughts on that love Superboy that television show because I'm a such a big Superman mark so and Lex Luger being in it come on awesome I wish they would. Get over there to dispute and release those damn Superboy shows. So, anyways, have a good night. Be safe, everyone. Take care.